This is Care Less, Do More. Welcome back, friends of Care Less, Do More. This is your host, Michelle Parker, and I can't wait for you to hear this episode with one of my all-time favorite athletes, Rory Bozio. Rory has been an intriguing athlete to watch for many years as her approach to ultra running and being a professional athlete always brought a smile to my face. She's just living her best life in her own unique and dazzling way, and I am here for it. Before we dive in, I'd like to shout out Anon Optics for supporting the show. Check out anonoptics.com for their collection of sunglasses, goggles, and helmets with fits for all. They make super high quality products that I personally use. My kit includes the Opportunist sunglasses, the Anon Merrick Wave Cell helmet, and the M4S goggle with the MFI fleece hood, which seamlessly connects to the goggles using Magnatech technology. Everything Anon makes is done right with thought and ingenuity. My guest on the show today is a longtime inspiration of mine, Rory Bozio. Rory took an unconventional path to becoming a professional ultra runner. Training took place on her own accord and in her own style. The whole coach thing, heart rate monitors, GPS tracking watches, and a schedule didn't feel as free. She went backcountry skiing, cross-country skiing, what she refers to as destination running, and on occasion when I was out climbing, I would see Rory riding her beat-up beach cruiser up Donner Summit. Rory began running ultramarathons in 2007. In 2013, on the sport's grandest stage, the 104-mile Ultra Trail de Mont Blanc, she set the course record of 22 hours, 37 minutes, and 26 seconds. In 2014, she won it again. She's a pediatric intensive care nurse and loves puff paint, bright colors, and wildflowers. One of my favorites to watch, Rory never took the sport too seriously from my perspective. She kept it loose and fun in the best of ways. Welcome to the podcast, Rory. Thanks for having me, Michelle. It's an honor to talk to you, especially with the caliber of guests you've had before me. <laughs> oh, I just am lucky to live amongst so many incredible athletes like yourself. I know. Tahoe's pretty special. It's like you can't, you, you never feel like you're the best athlete in the room when you're hanging around with all these incredible people. Totally. Some of whom aren't, who aren't even sponsored and consider themselves professional. So I know I went for a bike ride with Claire Walton two days oh, ago. Oh yeah, and then since followed her on Strava, and she went for like an eight thousand vertical foot ride. Right, yeah, you would never know. No, right, yeah. That's yeah. what I love about Tahoe. It's like everyone is just like out there crushing it, but you would never really like know. I don't know. Great I place, agree. great place to live and grow up for sure. How was it for you growing up here? I loved it. I don't know about you, but like I loved growing up in Tahoe, and you know we'd go like visit friends and stuff down in the bay or sacramento and i'd be like what do you guys i just didn't understand how life worked down there like when do you get to go play in the woods and um i loved having seasons i think it's so awesome especially like when you're into sports and activities you get to do you grow up and you get like if you're you know parents afford you the opportunity and teach you how to ski and mountain bike and you're hiking you just get to be like doing so many diverse activities as opposed to being pigeonholed into just like one or two I loved the kind of smaller community feel you know feel super safe here I mean I spent most of my time like it was one of those like moms saying like go outside and play and come back in for dinner you know totally my friends and I I used to live um right in Tahoe City behind the golf course and we had like free roam to just go into town, go to the Nordic Center and ride our bikes. Um, I loved it. I also liked the sense of like growing up with the, it can be kind of a curse and a blessing, but growing up with like the same group of kids, but I feel like you establish some really good friendships um, that way. And yeah, I loved it. I really liked it. I felt like it was very free range as well. Totally. Yeah, like I grew up in Palisades and like the whole valley was wherever yeah. you went. 
exactly. we were in the mountains and roaming around and yeah. we had names for trees and like totally. silly kid stuff but it was I knew the gutter system I would crawl in the gutters <laughs> oh to gosh. get to my friends houses oh my god <laughs> but yeah totally free range built your yeah. own tree houses like I think it actually teaches kids like a lot of independence and a lot of like self-sufficiency and um I definitely think like parenting nowadays is probably different than how our parents parented but uh, I really appreciated that about like I had a lot of independence and I think that teaches you a lot. So, yeah, I loved growing up. I mean, it's like, you know, it's hard to leave. It's yeah. Like, <laughs> yes. Clearly we're yeah, still here. Exactly. <laughs> like I have it. There's no perfect place to live, but Tahoe's pretty darn nice. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Feel very lucky to live yeah. here. Um, and when when did you get into running? I so I ran in middle school I did like the cross-country team and I liked it I didn't like love it it was more just like you know an activity to do but I really liked it and then I started really enjoying cross-country running in high school but for me it was more a way to train for Nordic skiing which is like my first like it's like my true love uh, yes. I didn't start Nordic skiing till middle school I grew up downhill skiing and like chasing the gates around. And then when I got into it in middle school, it took like a couple of years to click. But then when it did, I just, I loved skate skiing. It was like, you know, I idolized like these European Nordic skiers and I just thought it was just like the most fun. And so I used running more as like a training vehicle for skiing and, um, but I really liked it. And um, my mom was a big runner when I was, uh, and she's, I mean, she still is, but she was really into running. And then I grew up um, in high school. I, we lived across the street from the Deloriers, Eric Delorier, amazing big mountain skier, and his wife Laura, known to the ultra community as by her maiden name Laura Vaughn, is like OG amazing um, ultra marathoner. Wow. She was doing like Western states like back in the 90s and getting second place to this woman Ann Trayson, who's like probably the best, you know, one of the best ever female runners in the sport. So. Laura is super legit and just like tough as nails and very unassuming and is kind of what I call like an off the couch runner. Mm. Like she'll, which I'm not like this, but she, she would like, you know, not really train too much and then decide to go out and run like a hundred miles running race in Utah, you know, and just crush it. So I always kind of knew what like the different styles of like running were out there. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely got more into it in high school. Um, and then I went to college down in Davis. I couldn't, couldn't venture too far from Tahoe. <laughs> I came home. I like worked out my schedule where I did school like three days a week and then was home back in Tahoe for like four days. So I, I never really it. left, but so I was like running a ton during, um, college. And then when I graduated, I took two years off before going back to nursing school. And I was living up here just doing the typical like early twenties, Tahoe thing, you know, working a bunch of odd jobs, like waitressing and landscaping and catering. And I just started like getting more and more, like I grew up hiking a ton with my family. And I kind of just started like thinking like, well, all these trails I used to hike, like I can run. And it's definitely an addicting sport. And when you kind of get more into that, that addicting feeling of like pushing your body further, it's like very exciting and challenging. And you kind of just want to see what you're capable of. So I started getting more into it, like just kind of on my own that way. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I read that one of your greatest accomplishments or one of the things that you were most proud of was winning your eighth grade state championship. Oh, for country. sure. My mom put so much pressure on me. So. Oh. <laughs> 
no way. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, I think she did some vicarious living for me in those like high school and middle school years. And you, well, you know, from Tahoe, we're such like in such a small pond. Of, yeah. You know, we're competing with these like tiny little schools. So it's really, it's like a very mild, humble brag to be like, I won my eighth grade state championships. But <laughs> it was like, and at that age, it like, you think it means so much. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're like, oh, this is just like the biggest thing ever. And, um, yeah, I remember winning that and being just like, so, so I, I don't know if I've ever been so excited about winning a race ever. Cause I just, I'm not that competitive of a person. I feel like I was definitely way more competitive when I was younger Yeah, and it's kind of seeped out of me. But, um, so that I was just like super jazzed on. That's funny. I can totally relate because winning state championships for soccer was that oh, yeah. for me too. And totally. it is that young age when you are competitive, you yeah. want it so bad. Yeah. Like it makes sense to me. Yeah. And it's such a big thing in your world, you yeah. know, and it just, it does, it makes you feel special, which I think like all little kids, like you want to feel kind of special, Yeah, you know? So, and like looking back on it, I'm like, well, who really cares about eighth grade Nevada state, you know, whatever division we were in. <laughs> Probably not yeah. super high. No, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Division Division 10A, like, you know, but it was a big deal to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Same here. I can relate. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> um, and when you were younger, did you ever imagine yourself being an ultra runner? It sounds like your neighbor was an ultra runner and yeah. someone you, you admired. But the sport was so, I mean, the sport has definitely, like, even since I've been in it, uh, even when I first got into it, it was like still very niche. Yeah. And now it's like, I'm not going to say it's mainstream, but I'm going to say a lot of people have aware, like outside of the running world, have an awareness of ultra running and at least know what it is. Like when I started doing it, people were like, what's ultra, you know, no one had an idea of what it was. And so, no, I didn't even know that you, when I even first got into the sport, there weren't that many sponsored athletes who were ultra runners. So no, I had no idea that that was even like a possibility to me. It was a hobby, you know, something you do like, a passion that you can have, but not something that's going to, you know, pay your rent type yeah. of thing. So, and like back in the like nineties and stuff, um, and even early two thousands, there weren't that many races, um, Western States, um, you know, which goes from squad Auburn is obviously like super well known, um, to ultra runners. And it was back then. But other than that, there were only like four or five other hundred mile races in the country going on. It was super small. And so yeah. it just didn't seem like something that was going to be like a legitimate way to make money. I did, it didn't even enter my mind that like that could be a possibility. And like Laura Delorier, like she was super successful in the sport, but I don't think she ever really made money from it. Interesting. You know? Right. Yeah. It just wasn't like, established enough. No, there was just like, no, nobody was sponsoring it. Yeah. So yeah, I don't think it was probably until like early 2000s, probably like around 2005 that like the North Face and like Montreal and Patagonia even started to spawn. And even then it was just like a few. Right. You know, and where nowadays like pretty much every major like running out, I mean, Nike has an ultra marathon, you know, right. sector of its athletes. So it seems like it's grown. A yeah, ton. totally. I mean, it's like pretty much like every outdoor apparel brand, you can probably find that they have like an ultra marathoner on their list of sponsored athletes. Yeah. So, which is cool. I think it's awesome. That's a lot of parallels to my career too. Like in the beginning of women's slope style skiing, there oh, was totally. like not that many people doing it. Yeah. I had no idea. It kind of fell into my lap. I was yeah. like, oh, this is a thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's like one of those things you're like, yeah, it'd be so cool to make a living from my passion, but like no way it can really happen. Yeah. You know, cause there just weren't that many examples of it. And I especially, I like, I, yeah, I really bet for like 
female big mountain skiers. It's just such a limited pool too. Limited, and they yeah. weren't in the media that much. So totally. We had amazing, like Jamie Burge and Trucky, like right. we had amazing examples around us, but I wasn't aware of them at yeah, the time. Yeah, totally. Too. And you didn't even think like, you know, I'm sure Jamie, you know, she works other jobs. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? It's totally. not something where like, especially, of course there are like some men who were big mountain skiers forever, like uh-huh. making like decent livings, but there just aren't that many women. Yeah. Yeah. Doing those types of sports. Yeah. So you go to college and you see Davis and then it was 2000, what was it? 2007 when you started running ultras? Yes. I, I had been back in Tahoe. Um, and, um, I had always had growing up across the street from Laura, like I had an awareness of ultra marathons, but it's funny cause like my mom, like I think back then kind of thought Laura was crazy. She's like, that's such a ridiculous sport, even though my mom's <laughs> a runner. So I always had this in my head that like, hundred miles like you would be stupid and stupid or and or crazy to want to go do something like that like it just sounds like a suffer fest it sounds awful but then as I was up here just you know instead of bar hopping like all my friends I'd rather be out playing all day you know that's kind of the dichotomy of Tahoe is like there's a ton of active people but then there's also some things you can fall into that are less healthy yeah Um, and I kind of definitely was more of a nerd and steered towards like wanting to be outside all day. Um, so I had been running more and more and my really good friend Tav Streit, who, um, I met when I was like in middle school and he, he went to UNR for cross country skiing and he was one of my cross country ski coaches, like growing up for a little bit. And then we, um, became really friendly like after and we'd go out on these big runs together and he suggested to me like in the spring I think of 2007 he's like oh we should do this 50 kilometer race out of Reno it goes up to like Peavine Peak and then over towards like the Mount Rose area um it's like at the end of May he's like we should totally do it I was like yeah that'd be awesome and you know especially when you're first getting into a sport like having a goal in mind definitely helps like focus your training like gives you something to shoot for right and like I am definitely like goal oriented and I do well with like the carrot on the stick type of thing and I was like yeah that sounds great like I like a challenge and uh well so anyway so I signed up for the race and I thought Tav did and then like the (gasps) night before the race I was like so what time are we meeting he's like I'm not doing that no way (laughs) (laughs) and I was like you sandbagger which is kind of typical of Tav but like so great he's a great motivator and he definitely motivated me and so I did the race and um I was pretty intimidated going in because I had never I had never I still have never run like a street marathon I think the longest race I had ever run would have been in high school, which those are like five mile races. Right. You know, so I really had no idea. And, you know, back then there wasn't that much, you know, the internet was around, but there really wasn't that much information online about like, I think I found some like old, like a training plan for a marathon on like runner's world. And you kind of adapt that. And I asked Laura some questions and I just didn't know what to expect. And it was actually a pretty, uh, you say Reno, people don't think that there's like, you know, big mountains down there, but there totally are. I mean, Peavine Peak is what, like almost 8,000 feet or something. Yeah. Yeah. So it was like, there was like a ton of climbing in it and I really liked it. And I thought for sure it was just going to be like, you hear people when they say they've done marathons that like, you know, you hit the wall at mile 22 and it's just awful. But I don't know. I think cause I was like new to it. I started off really conservatively and then just had like a ton of fun. And like by the end of the race, you're like in the pine trees and um, there was some snow around. I just found, and like I, th- I ended up winning the race, which I definitely think was a huge like boost for, you know, like it gives you that confidence. For sure. And you're like, oh, I'm actually like 
decent at this, even though it's like a very small pool of, you know, it wasn't like a huge competitive race. There were definitely a couple of like, you know, really good women there. So I felt, um, I was like kind of proud of myself and I was like, oh, this is cool. And so then the next, the next thing, and this happens, I feel like to most ultra runners is like, okay, you've done a 50 K now you want to do a 50 miler. And so I did a 50 miler that December, the North Face used to put on this series of races and they would have their like end of the season race down in the Marin Headlands. And that was really hard. It was a really hard race. And I definitely like, it was super hard. It was like, like part way through the race. I'm like, why, why the F am I doing this? Like, this is so stupid. (laughs) I'm hating this right now. It's just hard. Like, you know, you're like six hours into a race, you know, you still have like a couple hours and there was a ton of climbing and my legs were dead and I don't think I had my nutrition dialed and, um, you know, you just kind of have to really dig deep. And, but then when you fin it, you're like, I'm never going to do that again. And then you have that like short-term memory loss. Yes. Where like a couple days later, you're like looking online for like, okay, how do I I get into a hundred mile race? A couple days. It only took you. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, how do I get into So then I thought, I was like, okay, I did a 50 miler. I was like, I want to see if I can do a hundred mile race. And just more as like a bucket list type of, like just do it once to say, not even to like for bragging right, but just for like my own personal like gratification to be like, okay, I can do this, you know? And um, even back then, nowadays it's actually very competitive and hard to get into a lot of these very popular ultra races because they've become so popular and there's limited spots. And even back then, I guess that would have been 2010 that I got into Western States um, I had to, I was like, I feel very lucky that I, you know, Laura Deloria, I was her first babysitter and, uh, her dad invented goo, the okay. energy gels yeah. for her, which is kind no of cool. Way. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. She would be like, she'd be doing Western States and like mile 80 start having all these like GI issues. And back then in the nineties, you know, there was nothing like nothing. There yeah. was no type of like all this stuff is really, you know, relatively recent, all these types of like energy gels and whatnot. So he designed goo for Laura. It's great. You would go over to her house and like, she had this whole closet you opened up and it's just like filled with packets of goo. She's like, take whatever you want. Like the, not the energy blocks, but the, like, yeah, like the actual, the old school, like it looks like frosting. Yes. You know, yes. and like it goes in like goo, it comes out like goo, <laughs> uh, which probably is not their marketing tagline. Um, <laughs> I relied on goo for a lot of years when I first got into ultra running my, and then it, my nutrition changed, but, um, it's a great product. Um, but they sponsored a aid station at Western States. And when you're a sponsor, you can get in, uh, you get like two slots available to give to any runner you want. And so they gave me one, which was really nice. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And I did the rate. I was like, you know, intimidated going in I trained really hard and, it was super fun. Like, I just loved it, though. It was so fun. I had my whole family there. Mm-hmm. And what's cool about ultra running, especially well, especially for, like, the 100-mile races, um, for some of these races, especially in the U.S., you get your little crew, like, kind of follows you around, right? So they, like, meet you at certain aid stations and super motivating. And they pace you. And- you can have a pacer. Yeah, at Western States, you can have a pacer starting at, like, mile 60 or 65. So I had Tav pace me. Um, and then I had one of my, go- and then I had my best friend growing up, Laura Spore, you know, Laura, yes. she paced me for like the last 10 miles in the dark. And it was just, I found, I thought it was so fun. It was really hard. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was like such a challenge, but I never, never during that race, I remember never saying like, why am I doing this? 
I remember just being like motivated to get to the finish and like accepting the challenge as it came yeah. and really enjoying it. Even though, you know, of course it hurts when it's really hard, but it was just like such, it was like, okay, I've made it to mile. And especially once you get past like that unknown, like I knew I could run 50 miles at that point, but I had no idea past that. Oh, so you had only ran 50 I only ran 50. And wow. it's like when you're training for a 100 mile race, you're not going to go out and run 100 miles. 75, you yeah. know what I mean? Like I think the longest training runs I had done was like a 30 mile, you do like a 30 mile run and then the next day you'll do like a 30 mile run just to kind of mimic right. what it feels like to feel tired you know yeah but so it's like all uncharted territory which is pretty exciting that first time you do it totally like, can i do this um and western states has such an awesome atmosphere i mean there's like people lining you know you run through forest hill and there's like all these people in town and then you get your pacer which I think for a first 100 mile race is awesome. It's really cool to have somebody. And like Tav is like one of the best motivators around. We just made it fun. And uh, and Laura Delorier paced me for part of it also. Um, I had them each do like 10 or 15 miles. So it was really cool. And then when I finished, I was like, I'm hooked. <laughs> yes. And when you say someone's pacing you, they're running alongside you to yes. keep you at that pace. That yeah. Or just like support. Yeah. They can't like, they can't mule for you. Like they can't carry food and water for you. Like that's not like you have to carry your own supplies. Yeah. But, and it really helps, um, if you're not like when it gets dark out, if you're not used to running in the dark that much, like having that extra headlamp around, totally having somebody there to kind of crack the whip and motivate you yeah. and be like, okay, you know, we can do it. Like keep on pace type of thing and just having the companionship because especially in a race like western states only has i think like 400 um entrants okay whereas like some of these races like utmb has like 2500 oh wow right so even and no matter what though in all of these 100 mile races by mile 50 things are spread out and you can really end up in no man's land and you know that can be kind of hard and especially when you're new to the sport and you don't know how to like self-motivate as much Mm -hmm. and kind of keep on pace it's i think it's super nice to have the the pacer european racers races don't allow pacers okay mostly because they're like bigger yeah and they probably don't want all those people right like another 2500 people yeah you don't want 5,000 people on the trail totally understandable yeah um but for western states it was great otherwise i would have just been like in the woods by myself for like 12 hours you know (laughs) so do you ever find a pacer like in the utmb for example in another fellow competitor totally Yeah. yeah you kind of buddy up and a lot of times what happens is you leapfrog people right um i find like over in europe when i first did utmb one year it's like i would be like kind of gaining on these men on the uphills and like feeling like haha eat my dust and then they would just go like bombing by me right. on the downhills you know and then yeah. you just like keep leapfrogging type of thing so that happens a lot or sometimes you find like um i had a friend at who i made at western states this woman eliza lapierre and we did the race like three years together and we always seemed to like meet up at like mile 30 to 60 we would kind of like run back and forth together which is cool because then you just feel like you're more like out for a normal run like with a girlfriend which makes it really fun do you start shit talking oh yeah for sure you do oh yeah oh yes i would shit talk more with the men especially (laughs) the frenchmen oh my Um, gosh my friend um nico nico marmoud he actually he started hoka he was the founder of hoka i did western state i did um utmb one year and it's like the middle of the night and I come upon these two Frenchmen and they're talking French and like my French is awful. I, my step, my stepdad is French. So I know like all the bad words, you know, and yeah. I can fake a French accent. And I was like, oh, bonsoir. 
And I used to kind of start saying, speaking in my horrible French, and Nico knows me, oh, Rory. And he goes, oh, you, he was trying to kind of flirt with me. <laughs> he was like, oh, you are doing so well in this race. After this race, I take you out for champagne and chug a lot. I was like, <laughs> like hell you will, Nico. A, I've seen your taste in women. They're usually like blonder and younger than I am. It was actually very motivating. But yeah, I kind of <laughs> like hilarious. sparred back and forth. Totally. That would motivate me so yeah, much. Yeah, totally. Actually. You're like, I'm yeah. gonna, you know, I'm going to yes. show you what's up. <laughs> Ah, do I, I take you out for champagne and chocolate? <laughs> I asked Levi if they shit talked in the Peloton because oh, yeah. I was like, they must like give right. me the dirt. And Too many like, languages though, maybe. No, he said no. I like a rule for me was not talking because you're so concentrated on what oh, you're doing. I was like, God. okay, that makes sense. So but concentrated like, for like five hours a day for oh, three weeks. So oh, stressful. The mental capacity for yeah. like the strength for that. Well, yeah, similar to what you do though. I guess, but it's just like it's so different thinking about like a three week race compared to. 24 hours yeah you know yes it's like I feel like you can do anything for a day like you know that's half. a good place to start yeah. yeah that's how I kind of always looked at it I was yeah. like I can do anything for 12 hours yeah you know and that's like I can do anything for 24 right like there is an end point here you know and when you talk about like being new and not knowing how to self-motivate like I was thinking about that on a bike ride I did yesterday because mm-hmm. I just try to go out and ride as many miles I don't have a training program or right. anything but I was really enjoying it. Simultaneously, I was like, I'm not really pushing myself as I would if I was with someone. Totally. Where, like, do you have any tips for that? Like, I, I mean, I guess it's just like, it, for, it kind of has, it's like, I guess it is intrinsic to begin with. Um, but I did the majority, I'd say like 80, maybe 90% of all of my ultra running training by myself. Mm-hmm. And, but I've always been like, a, I grew up as an only child. Like I've always been able to just be like too good sometimes, you know, to my detriment. Right. Where it's like, you know, it's, it's not healthy to be like alone so much all the time. But, um, I always just found that I could just motivate myself kind of like on my own. Once I got more into the sport yeah, and kind of like knew like kind of what the training should entail. I think that. It does help, like, having, especially when you first get into it, having that goal of a race, yeah, like, three months down the line. So you kind of, like, know that you really need to go out and, like, stick to it. Um, but I just fell so much in love with ultra running. And it was just, like, I just loved the feeling of being out there. And I, I mean, I do, I, it would, what was hard, the workouts that were hard for me is when I was first in the sport, I tried to kind of, like, follow a training plan where you do intervals you know, or like even every once in a while I would go to the track and do like mile, like six mile repeats and then like some 800s and whatever. And those workouts like were really hard for me. Yeah. Cause that's just not how I like to run. Right. Like I don't like to suffer that way. I don't like to look at a clock like, and that stuff was hard. And so I'd like put music on. I'd really have to tell myself like, okay, you can get through this. Like it's just one workout and like take it interval at a time, you know? And I read that you took your intervals with the songs. Yes. You're like, okay, I'm going to totally. run hard for this song yeah. or these two yes. songs. At first, when I first was like to like getting into the sport and really trying to kind of follow some training plans that are a little more regimented, um, it just didn't work for me. And then, and then I kind of also, so Tav actually brought this up to me and he was like, well, you know, like in a running race, you're going to have, especially in like a 50 or a hundred mile race, you're going to have points in the race where you're going faster and some points where you're going slower and you want to turn it on. So it's not going to be like, you're like, okay, I'm going to run hard for six minutes. 
it's kind of more, it's a little more organic and fluid. So being able to just be like, okay, I'm gonna turn the engines up for this song or for a couple songs or till I get to like the next, you know, the next mountain pass and kind of make it just, you know, not so, like not have the boundaries be so defined on it. I actually felt mimicked a race and like how races go um, better anyway. So being able to like kind of get your body used to like sometimes going slower and then sometimes having to like who knows when, like pick up the pace, you know, um, kind of helped. And then as I got like further into the sport, I never, I totally got away from like following any types of, training plans and I kind of just would do a lot based on feel and you get an idea of like what you need to do to be prepared for like a hundred mile race especially if you have like a race that goes really crappy you're like okay I know I need to prepare a little bit better or whatever like I need to incorporate more speed work or more hills or whatever right and Tav I call him my like mountain guru um because he's like a physical therapist and he's a coach for Nordic skiing and he and I like in the spring our families do a trip down to Yosemite and he and I would go on like a big run up to like clouds rest or something. And while we'd be running up there, we'd kind of talk about like my upcoming season and like what races I want to do and kind of roughly what my summer should look like. Like, okay, okay, this month you should be doing like kind of like longer runs. And then, you know, as you get closer to the race, you're going to need to cut back and, you know, maybe incorporate a little more hill work. So kind of loose, but like having just kind of like a loose outline in your head but I never liked the feeling of being like I have to get this workout in like yeah if I don't do these intervals like the whole week is shot like that doesn't work for me it and almost I, adds more stress totally it adds more stress and it's just not enjoyable for me yeah I know a lot of people who love like run, who really need to follow a training plan and it totally works for them but for me yeah it was stressful I didn't like it some days it's like I just want to go out and just run a big hill you know what I mean like I just want to run up mountain run yeah I don't want to go run on the flats or whatever so I like being able to have it be more fluid and um you can kind of like create it as you go but have like kind of just a general outline of what you need to do Mm -hmm. so I've always found that really fascinating about you like I mean as I mentioned like you'd be climbing Donner Pass on your beat up beach cruiser. Like people don't understand the crew, like the cruiser bikes. So I, growing up, my mom rode her, like some of my first memories are being on the, you know, the little seats, the little kids seats as a toddler on my mom's like 1975 blue Schwinn cruiser bike and just going like all over town. Like she'd ride up like Alpine with me on that. And she'd ride up Donner Summit with me on that. And like, I just like, I always remember like being in the back with like my huge helmet on. (laughs) And those are some of my first memories. But um, when I was in high school, she told me that like every spring she used to ride her cruiser bike around the lake. And I was like, that's nuts. Like the lake is what, 72 miles around. You've got like three speeds on that thing. Yeah, right. And then um, my stepdad got me a cruiser bike for high school graduation. Cause I'd been like riding my mom's bike before that. But then I finally got my own and I like, I totally got it. I was like, oh my God, this is so fun. Like I grew up mountain biking and I love mountain biking. I don't like road biking, but, um, but cruiser bike riding, you're so comfortable. You're like, <laughs> that's a really good point. Yeah. Oh, you're so comfortable. The you're seat, like sitting upright. I mean, I don't know. Mountain bike seats, like maybe I need to get a different seat, but I'm the dork who like on my mountain bike, I buy the like padded seat cover that you put over it. It's yes. so dorky, but like that sometimes is the limiting factor for me. Mm-hmm. Mountain bike riding is I did this, um, mountain bike race actually over in the Alps, like near right outside of Chamonix. 
and they call it the uh, world's toughest, hardest one day mountain bike race. I'm sure that's a designation they gave them themselves, you know. Right. Um, but, and it was really, it was like 100, it was like 90 miles or something. It took like 16 hours. It was super hard. But my biggest complaint was like, oh my God, this seat is going to like, it is killing my ass. Right. And so when I got back from that, I was like, no more. I'm getting a cushy seat. I don't care how dorky it looks. But that's what's so great about the cruiser bike riding. You're so comfortable. Yeah. I mean, you can do it in board shorts and flip flops. <laughs> like, it's so fun. And the thing about like climbing up, um, I used to live at Donner Lake at the bottom. And so like a perfect, my favorite like evening activity, you know how gorgeous Donner Summit is. Beautiful. Is like riding my cruiser bike from the bottom up to ASI at the top. It's like 35 minutes, really efficient workout. I mean, it's just a thigh burner. You're like, yeah. you have to be out of the saddle the whole time on the cruiser. Oh my God, the whole and time. Pretty much. That's right. yeah. I do have three speed. I call it hard, harder, and harder. My yeah. three speeds on my cruiser. So I usually like to go in the middle speed and you have to be out of the saddle for it. Um, but it's just a great, efficient workout, and it's beautiful, and it's like, I don't do well with like indoor workouts, or yeah. like, I'm really, it's really hard for me to motivate to do like weightlifting and squats. So I figured like, instead of doing squats, I'll do my cruiser bike ride uphill. Totally. Yeah, it's yeah. really fun. I love that. Yeah. And then you like see all the people climbing and stuff. Like I always see like Hansi Steinheiner. You know, yeah. We always, would like, always cheer. We'd be like, yeah. And I'd be like, she's training for it's her ultra really runs. It's really fun. <laughs> like, yeah. But then like people, like I even once I got Julia Mancuso, who is like, I would say not a cardio queen. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I even got her to ride around Lake Tahoe with me on cruiser bikes once. Yeah. And it was super fun. Yeah. It was funny though. We got to... We started in Tahoe City and we go clockwise. And so we're almost finished. We're like, end of the day, we're over in Tahoma and we stop at PDQ to get some drinks. And I go outside and Julia's sitting on the curb and she has her cell phone out. I was like, what are, what are you doing? She's like, I'm calling a cab. No way. I was like, like, hell you are. We have like six miles. She's like, I'm done. And I was like, no, you are not. She made it. It was really funny though. Good. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. I know. That's a good pull. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've never done it. If it's you asked me to do it, I would do it. You know, nowadays it's a little different just because with like the distracted drivers kind oh of freak me out a little bit. Like yeah. that's why I don't like road riding. It's changed. That You're yeah. right. You just nailed it. Like we used to yeah. not have cell phones that we'd answer totally. or text on or yeah. whatever. Look at Instagram. Exactly. It just feels a little less safe. I'm yeah. definitely more into it. Like I'm not a good road runner. I hate running on the road. Yeah. Like I don't You're like, dirt. Yeah. yeah. Like, like I like being out in the woods. In the mountains. Totally. Yeah, exactly. I can it's, relate. Yeah. It's just, it does, it's like for me, like exercising on pavement feels like a chore. Like you're out there, you know. Yeah. You're like breathing in the exhaust and everything. Yeah. I like fun. road riding only to get me in better shape for mountain biking. Because totally. Like, it does. Like you can yeah. get more mileage and oh, stuff. Yeah. And biking is like the best for like knees and whatnot. It so is. Good. Yeah. It's yeah. like the reason my thighs came back to the same yeah. size. Yeah. Totally. Of being lopsided. That took me forever. Yeah. But I love doing like an organized race because then the roads are closed and totally. it's like, you and it's can like just safe. Go. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, can off. you talk a little bit about the history of Western states? Like, it, is it the yeah. longest ultra run? It's been around. It's one of the ones that's like, def, it's def, I think it's the oldest, oldest 100 yeah. mile race in definitely in the US yeah. and like one of the oldest in the world. And it was started by these two guys, Gordy Ansley. And Cowman, which I can't remember Cowman's full name. <laughs> he still shows up at Western States with his like cow hat. He's just like a total hippie. I think he lives in Hawaii. Like these guys are characters. And they did it initially it was um, they participated as runners in the Tevis Cup. And the Tevis Cup is 
the horse race, the 100-mile horse race that, gets, that goes from Squaw to Auburn. And like one year in the 70s, Gordy like jumped into the Tevis Cuff race. And then that's kind of, I think, where the idea to right. do Western states caught on. And then like a couple years later, they had started the race. So at this point, it's over. It's been going on for like 30, 40 years, something. I don't know the exact. Um, but it's definitely like when I got into the sport, it was definitely the most well-known and prestigious 100-mile race in the country and definitely one most in the world. Like nowadays, I would say some of the European races, like UTMB, when you talk to ultra runners, is definitely kind of like there's no like world champion. Well, there are some world championships in ultra running, but um, UTMB is kind of probably the most, one of the most like prestigious and competitive races for right. like elite racers nowadays, but it's only been around 20, they're having their 20th anniversary this year. Mm-hmm. Whereas like Western States has been around like 40 years, you yeah. know? So, um, and growing up here, like most people kind of know about it. Absolutely. You know, it takes place like the last Saturday in June. I like, I think point to point races are really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, or a loop, like I don't like out and back, but like point to point is really cool. You start in Squaw and you finish in Auburn, like that's rad. Um, you know, some years they have, I've done it. I did it four years. I did it 2010 through 2013. And there were a couple years that had like a ton of snow, which I really loved. I thought that was super fun. There were a couple years, one year, the last year I did it, it was like the second hottest year on record. Mm. And that was miserable. Yeah. That was horrible. That would be terrible. Like I, I could, yeah, that was horrible. I'm not, I don't deal well with the heat and it gets worse as I get older. But it was like 115 in those canyons oh or something. Oh my gosh! Oh yeah, and there was like not a breath of wind. Oh. It was. I should have dropped out. Like I had. I think I had too much ego or this sense that like you don't drop out at any. You know, only right. if you get injured. And I think that's the wrong mentality because I ended up. I ended up like finishing that race. I think like six or seven pounds heavier Whoa. than I started, which is so depressing. You're like, I just run 100 miles and I gained seven pounds. How does that work? <laughs> Yeah. It was just all water weight. Like right. you just, your GI system just shuts down and you're still trying to drink. I mean, I looked like I was like, I'm 20 weeks pregnant now. I looked like I was like 30 weeks pregnant when Whoa. I finished that race. Cause just like all the water was stored in my belly. I lost nine toenails. Oh, cause my, my feet, nine of, nine of them. No, my friend Laura joke. Cause I always, um, I'm not like a nail painter, but I love to paint my nails before a running race, like all different colors. And I painted my toenails, all different colors. And Laura was like, well, now you can identify which ones fell off in your <laughs> shoe. <laughs> And I was like, yeah, but it wrecked me. And then like, you know, for four weeks after it was super hard to recover. I was like, I should have just dropped out of that stupid race. Like, what was I trying to prove? I had already done the race three times. So anyway, I never went back to do the race after that because the heat just intimidates me so much. But I mean, um, losing nine toenails is so gnarly. Yeah. Yeah. It was just not, I don't handle the heat well. And to me, I like uh, ultra running can be very, it can be painful and super hard, but I don't think it's good if you're really hating the experience, like the majority of the time you're out there. Like that should not, if, if that's the case, like find something else, right. you know, like it should definitely be hard and be a challenge, but you shouldn't be like hating it, you know? So, um, for me, the like races in the high mountains when it's cooler out are definitely more my jam. Yeah. Fair. You know? <laughs> I watched you. I went to the start and finish of, Oh, I think I remember seeing you. you yeah. yeah. You gave me a hug at the finish line and I was so psyched. Cause I went as a full on fan yeah. at this point. I was like, Roy's running in this race. So I watched you at the start, which as a spectator, I remember sprinting to the start of the yeah. race. Cause I was like a touch late, watched you guys go. And then 
at the finish line, I remember you crossed, and I was like, well, I think you came in second, but you set a record. Oh, for... yeah. That was the year I did what I did good. It was co- a lot cooler that year. Yeah, <laughs> totally. And then you, yeah. I, I got a hug, and I was like, yeah. And then you immediately chugged chocolate milk, and yeah. I was like, yep. Yeah. Chocolate milk yeah, is totally. the recovery Yeah, drink. chocolate milk so good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's very, it's fun. It, uh, yeah. Painful, yeah. painful, but fun. Yeah. That yeah. And I listened to a podcast you did a while ago. And you talked about, I actually listened to this on the last day of Cody Townsend and my bike trip. Oh yeah, which sounded so cool. It was so cool. But the very last day was the first time on the trip where I was like, I might be doing detrimental damage. Like I'm in so much pain. My knees were in pain because the grade was so much. Yeah. And I was just pushing much like on the hard, hard and harder gears of your Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I remember listening and you were talking about painting the pain cave. Oh yeah. Like you go into the pain cave and then you start painting it and yeah. you just get through it. Yeah. And now it like made me get through my oh, last good. stage. I yeah. Hear that. <laughs> You've had some like very cool uh endurance adventures, Michelle. And that's what like I find them I that's what I like kind of about the endurance sports in general is like, yeah, you can get into the races and do that, but they're still kind of always have this like adventurous component to them. Totally. You know, it's not like you're going out and running five miles. It's like you get into this like unknown territory and it just kind of feels a little different than like doing, you know, like a 10K race does or something. And yeah. I like those types of like challenges like that. Um, I find that like very fun. I think like if I get back into like the long distance running in the future, it'll be more um, kind of little adventures that you do on your own. You right. know, like I ran across the island of Corsica once all in one go and like that was one of the most incredible things I had ever done Mm. like it was just really cool to like do something like you know like plan a big trip like do all the logistics and you're like well I hope it works like I hope we can make it yeah and it's just (laughs) a personal goal yeah totally yeah yeah I find that as rewarding as like winning a race or something I don't know it was even more so because you're like I did this on my own and it's like so it's so it's so special just for yourself Mm-hmm. So I kind of like that, 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 that type of stuff. I think what drew me to you as an athlete, like obviously growing up surrounded by you and like, I knew you my whole life, yeah. but also like you brought something different to the ultra running community. You had puff paint on all kinds <laughs> of stuff. You were running in skirts and bright colors. Right. And like, you just had this sense of freedom that like made it really attractive to me anyways. Like what was your mindset with that? You're just a fun, goofy person. I, I Well, I guess so. Yeah, I mean, I definitely, like, my sense of style has not evolved since I was, like, five years old, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. polka dots and stripes and puffy paint, you know, child of the 90s. Um, I never grew out of it. I've always been, like, a tra- It just makes me happy. Like, I like colors, and I want to look down at, like, my race jersey and see it all bejeweled, and it's just, like, kind of fun, even though my sponsors didn't always love that. Um, but yeah, after I'd done it a few years, they were like, so we're making this rule that you can't alter your own jersey. No way. (laughs) Dang it. I know. Um, but I think, you know what, when I first got into doing like the hundred milers and got really more, um, kind of like into the sport and competing more on like a year round basis, I had also started working in the pediatric ICU at Davis as a nurse. And, um, it's a really stressful job. And I mean, I loved it, but it's also like the first couple years you're working in there. It's just like a lot of anxiety. Mm-hmm. It's a really busy unit. You know, you're dealing with like dying children and 
um, it's a pretty, it was kind of a stressful job. So for me, running was like the outlet and something not to be taken seriously when I have this like whole other, when like 36 hours a week, I'm in this like pressure cooker environment and you're dealing with just like horrible stuff, you know, some great stuff too. Like I love pediatric nursing because kids are pretty resilient and you do see some, like, you see some really great stuff, you know, you see kids like rebound and so happy, but at the same time you just see like the most tragic stuff. Um, so it's, um, kind of that contrast, but for me then like running was like, okay, this is what I'm doing in my off time. That's going to like make me happy. Yeah. You know, cause what I love about nursing is like, it's clock in clock out for me, my job, you yeah, know, it's you like, leave it there. Yeah. You leave it there. But when I got into like the pick you nursing, it's like, you do leave it there, but sometimes not. Right, you know, it's like, emotional, I would imagine. Yeah, it, it can be super emotional. And so, like, you take some of that stuff back with you, and, like, that's not, you know... I mean, in a way, it's good, because it should affect you. I think when it starts not to affect you, and you're becoming, like, too jaded, and, you know, that's maybe a time to find a different a different area to work in. Mm-hmm. But it always affected me. Um, like, dealing with, like, you know, you have a patient that dies or something, and you're around these families. Yeah. And it's, like, the worst thing to see somebody lose their kid. And so then like having running was just like, well, why, why is this so serious? <laughs> right. You know, like this is just running. Yeah. Like there's, you know, this should just be for fun, mm-hmm. you know, like take it. And especially when I became sponsored, like, you know, I took it seriously. Like I wanted to show up and be prepared and like try my hardest and not be flippant about it. Um, but my approach to it was like, it, you, it, you should always be enjoying it yeah. still while you're like taking it seriously and really preparing yourself, like, you should always still be enjoying it. Because otherwise, like, what are you, you know, what are you doing? For me, it was never, I think it's different if it's like your, if athletics is your primary career. Like, you definitely have to approach that more as like, yeah, that's your career. That's how you're paying your mortgage. Like, you know, if you're not enjoying it, well, kind of like toughen up and it's your job. Right. And for me, I never, like, said I was like a professional runner. I never felt like that was my job. Mm-hmm. I was kind of like you, like it, like sponsorships kind of fell into my lap. I mean, if I had been more enterprising, I should have like gone out and sought more, you know, sponsorships yeah. and like advocated for myself more. But I had this whole other career. And to me, it was kind of just like icing on the cake. It was like a bonus, right. you know, it was like, oh, this is so cool. I get to do this. But as soon as it becomes something that's, like, not motivating to me or something that I'm finding to be more of, like, a headache or a chore, like, peace out. Because this isn't – I want to still – I want to walk away from the sport and still love it, which I do. Like, I left at a point where I'm like, you know, I could keep racing, but I'm not into it. Like, I've raced enough, and I just want to go out and run the way I want to run. And, like, I still – run as much and do as much stuff as I used to. It's just like now I don't have to show up prepared for a race. (laughs) Yeah. Do you think there's a lifespan on an ultra runner? Like how many years does a career usually last? It's so funny because when I first got into it, my friend um, Nikki Kimball, who got into the sport maybe like 10 years before, she said, as an elite runner, you have 10 years. And at first I was like, I don't know about that. And I think in general – that's kind of true. I mean, it the, it does, you know, you have these kind of like freaks of nature like Killian uh, Journey or like Courtney Dualwater and there's some other people that can probably sustain it for a lot longer and they're kind of at a different level. Um, but it's just such a taxing sport on your body. And yeah. I think after so long, um, the crazy thing is, is like your endurance improves and like, 
going out to run a hundred miles, like I probably could have done, um, without training like too much for like, cause you just know what to expect. You know how to do it. You know, you could gain that experience yeah. um, and that expertise, but it's like, well, how much do you want to hurt the next day type of thing? Right. Like you, know? you can accomplish it. You can get it. You yeah. can get it done. You know what like mentally it takes. Like it's just, if your body isn't prepared, you're going to be suffering a little bit more the next day. But at the same time, I do think like it does take a toll on you overall. I was starting to get some, I tore my meniscus and that was just a pain in the butt to come back Mm. from and I do not do well with injury Mm -hmm. (laughs) um so um I do I think there is kind of a limit on how like how many competitive years you can have like if you really want to be kind of that that like elite level and you want to be competing in these kind of more premier events and preparing your body for it I'd say maybe like 10 years in general, you know, as a generalization. Right. Um, But then of course, like the great thing is like what I love about like running or like Nordic skiing is like, you can still go sign up for the events. You know what I mean? Totally. You know, it's not like an Olympic sport where it's only the elites get to compete. Like you can do this for a lifetime, which is cool. That's what I always really liked about ultra running is like at UTMB, you have like some of the best runners in the world competing with people who just want to finish the race. Yeah. You know, like, I think that's really cool. It's like such an equalizer in that sense. Um, it's like for everybody, you know? Um, so I, I, I enjoy that about like running in general. Yeah. It's very accessible in that sense. It is. I mean, all you need are your shoes. Yeah. You just go. Yeah, exactly. I read a tweet from Adam Campbell actually recently or no, sorry. He was speaking at a live event Mm -hmm. and someone asked him like, where do you find your motivation? And he was like, I don't know. You just have to, put your shoes on and get out there. And like, even if it's a mile, like I guarantee you'll start to feel better and you'll run two miles and then it'll build from there. And I was like, that's such a good point. Yeah. You never regret like going when you get back, you know, you're you're like, ah, I wish I wouldn't have gone out for that (laughs) run or hike or bike ride. Right. Yeah. No, but it can be like, so sometimes, you know, like, like crappy day in Tahoe when it's just like slushing outside, you know, it's like that fall time before you can ski. Yeah. You're like, ah, do I really want to go out and ride or run? Like, it's so cozy in my house. Yeah. But then when you go out, you always feel better. I try and remind myself of that, especially sometimes when I'm just, like, tired or whatever. It's like, I'll feel better. I've always used the, you never regret it. Yeah, you never regret it. Just go out and do it. Even if it's one run, whatever it is. Totally. Yeah. Exactly. You get done with it, and you're like, I'm glad I did that. But it's definitely that, like, motivation factor. Like, you kind of have to kick yourself in the butt to go out and do it. Which is a good practice. Yeah, yeah. totally. I think it's a good thing to learn as, oh like, a gosh. kid. Yeah, you're just reminding me my therapist at one point because I had to go. I usually spend a lot of gym time when I'm recovering from an injury. Right, you have to. Yeah, which in that mindset, I'm really good at that. And right. I'm dedicated, and I've spent up to six hours in the gym per oh, day, God. like, just yeah. going hard. Yeah, but you have that goal. Totally. You have a yeah. goal to get better. And, uh, but she used to make me put on at the time it was Beyonce and it was like my gym motivator. Mm-hmm. She's like, okay, put that song on and that's your cue to like get ready yeah. and walk get out into the door. It. Yeah. And I started really loving that routine, just yeah. having something that triggered me to be like, totally. I'm doing this and I'm Beyonce yeah. and this yeah, exactly. is the shit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> She's a motivator for me too. I listen yeah. to a lot of her music when I be out running. Yeah, for sure. That like poppy upbeat stuff. Totally. Totally helps. Did you ever consider leaving your day job, which was... Being a nurse? I, so I was really fortunate in that the unit, my manager in the PICU was like super flexible with me, which was really nice. So when I started to get um, like more competitive and more into the ultra running, um, I did Western or I did UTMB for my first time in 2012. And it was a year where they had to modify the course because um, it was like snowing and whatever. So it ended up only being, I think, like 
80 miles and like mostly at night and it was like pouring rain and I think a lot of the other runners hated it but I was like ah oh, this is awesome like we're in France I had never <laughs> raced internationally I had been to Europe before but actually only in the winter to watch Julia ski world cup so I'd never been over um like in the summertime and I just loved it so then the next year I knew that I wanted to go back and um I was hoping that they, like it would be the full race like the full 104 miles like around the Massif and um but I also knew from having that experience of only going over for like a couple of weeks I was like I need more time over there to train I mean yeah. we have mountains here but like the Alps are you know they're a whole other beast yeah and um I think the best way to prepare for an event is to be running on the terrain that you're going to be racing on and I realized in 2012 when I was over there that like I'm a decent uphill runner I was like, and I thought I was okay downhill, but those Euros just like blew me out of the water. And it was so demoralizing to like pass all these men. Cause it's still kind of a sausage fest over there. You right. know, there's like 2,500 runners, but like 10% are women. So you're pretty <laughs> yeah. much surrounded by men yeah. for the whole race, which is great. But, um, you know, when you're feeling all good about yourself, like passing them on the uphill, cause you're probably like 30 pounds lighter. And then they're just like bombing by you on the downhill. You're That's like, a good point. You know, it's like, so... Anyway, so I asked my manager if I could take essentially like a leave of absence. And she was like, oh, yeah. So because like summertime is kind of a slower time in a PICU. And so she for a few summers in a row would let me go over for like six to eight weeks at a time and come back and always be able to have my job. And then I switched from being which was like such a luxury. So nice. Um, I switched from being like full time. I was full time for quite a few years into my like ultra running career. And then I went to what's called per diem where you kind of just get to, you only have to work like three shifts a month. I mean, obviously I would work more to, you know, support myself, but it's very flexible, mm -hmm. which really worked with like the athlete stuff I had to do and like my obligations to like North face and whatever. It was really, it was really nice in that sense. Like nursing is like an awesome career for that. Cause you yeah. can kind of make your own schedule. Um, so it really, the two really balanced each other. It really worked out. That's awesome. Yeah. There's really one nice. skier that I ski with a lot, Lucy Sockbauer, and mm -hmm. she's an ICU nurse, I believe, in Ketchum. Oh, okay. And I'm always like, I think, and I haven't directly asked her, but like, I think she likes having both. Quick break in the episode to thank Darn Tough, who's been with us from the very beginning. Once you try a pair of Darn Tough socks, you'll likely not go back. These socks are fitted in all the right places and made of wool, which works to your advantage in all four seasons. Moisture wicking helps keeps bad odors at bay, prevents blisters, built to last, and I can tell you from experience, they are durable to boot. Lastly, many thanks to Sierra Nevada Brewing Company and cheers to summertime. Family owned, operated, and argued over. I love their slogan. Sierra Nevada has my heart as a company for their forward-thinking environmental practices and their tasty beers. They've been around since 1980, and the founder, Ken, started brewing beer in the 60s when he was a teenager and hid his home brewing kit from his parents, which I just love that fun fact. Since then, they've been perfecting the process and the taste. I think they're ahead of their time with their flavors and their practice. Thank you so much, Sierra Nevada, for supporting Care Less, Do More. Oh, yeah, I love I couldn't... When I, I mean, don't get me wrong, I, like living in Chamonix for eight weeks in the summer was freaking yeah. bliss. It was <laughs> awesome. Sure. But at the same time, I, um, I don't, the one thing about like being a runner and like doing the competitions is I didn't like having to like focus on myself all the time. And you know, you have to put all, you know, as like you're, all the pressure is on you. You're, when you're an athlete, it's like your business is you. And for me, that became a little uncomfortable. And I also don't 
love like sharing too much about myself or like getting the attention at first it's nice and then you're like I don't like this I don't Mm. feel like I deserve it I feel like an imposter and so then having this career where you go to work and it's just so not about you right (laughs) you know what I mean it's like you're there to take care of somebody else was a really nice balance like I think that you complement each other yeah pretty nicely and I've talked to um Anna Pfaff North Face Climber, she is a nurse and like she used to work ER and kind of, we've talked about that and she's like, yeah, it's a great like counterbalance. It's yeah. just like takes your mind off of like having to like focus on yourself all the time. Yeah. Um, which is just kind of a nice, a nice break for your brain, I think. Yeah, for sure. And having something else to be so engaging too. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I could see liking that. Yeah. Um, you talked a little bit about it, but like what was that process for you when you were kind of moving away from the sport and moving away from the competitive aspect of it? I had been, it was just like a couple years. I think I did my last ultra race in 2019. I did UTMB for the last time and it was an okay race, but like I was coming back from an injury. So I found it was like a lot harder than it had been previous. It was pretty humbling. I mean, I knew going in that it was going to be a lot harder for me just because like dealing with an injury and stuff. But I had just gotten to the point where like I had raced relatively competitively for about like 10 years and I didn't have that same fire in the belly anymore Mm -hmm. like I didn't like I used to really like kind of even though I don't find myself like super I say I'm not like super competitive in the sense that like everyone loves to win right like winning feels great yeah but like losing never bothered me that much either (laughs) right you were like like, okay yeah whatever you know there's always another race like some people hate to lose and I think it it would have been maybe a little more helpful for me if I was more motivated by loss, you know, because mm. um, I can totally see how that can work to your advantage. But I'm kind of just like, meh, meh, there'll be another race, you know. Um, but I still always looked for, like, I did look forward to racing and I found it very, like, motivating and having that goal to work towards. And then towards the end, I just kind of felt like, ugh, I've got a race coming up. Like, I always hated tapering. Uh, and most runners, most ultra runners do because, like, you get used to doing this, like, high mileage and you know being out all the time and suddenly you have to like cut back on that and it's like a jolt to the system and you feel like you're just twiddling your thumbs and you know you get into all of this stuff in your head where you're thinking oh all my fitness is going down the drain but at the same time you know that like you can't be unless you're Killian who like used to go like I remember like a few days before he did UTMB one year, he went and ran all the way to the top of Mount Blanc and back down. For people who don't know, that's like 10,000 feet of climbing. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> but he's an anomaly. Yeah. But you know, usually you need to have like a couple, you're like starting to taper like a couple weeks, you kind of start like cooling the engines a little bit. And then definitely like the week of a race, you're not, you're still running, but not to the level that you were. And I always hated that. Um, cause like I had energy and I just wanted to go expend it. Totally. You know? So you're like two weeks out from the race, you start tapering. Yeah. You start like, you don't go on, like you, you probably do your like last big, big run, maybe like a couple weeks out. And then after that, you're not doing like, and like for me, like a big run, like when I'd be like training for UTMB, I never went by miles or anything. I'd kind of go by hours, you know? So I'd be like, okay, for my big runs, I'm going out for like six hours, maybe seven hours, but it's not full running all the time. Like I'm not stringent about it. I would, you know, pack my lunch and eat at a lake and go skinny dipping or stop at a refuge, you know, but you like want to have time on, it's like time on feet. Yeah. You know, just get used to like being like out there and having time on your feet. But like you, like two weeks in like in before a race yeah you really kind of cut down on that and then you're doing shorter runs 
And then, I mean, in the one sense, it's great. You have now have all this ultra running, super time consuming sport. That's the hard thing about it. Um, so you have all this extra time, but at the same time, especially if you're somewhere beautiful and like, you just want to go out and like eat up those hills yeah. and then you have to stay at home or like, you know, go sit. It's yeah. first world problems, but, um, it would kind of be torture. You yeah. Know, that week you're like, I just want to go out and run. I've like prepared. My body is like just ready to go. Totally. And you're like, but you don't want to you know, go into a race feeling sore or tired, yeah. you know? So especially like if you're going to be out there for 24 hours. So, yeah. So I just got to the point where I was like, you know, I think, and like the other stuff that comes with being like an athlete nowadays is all of the like social media. And I've never felt a, like I was good at it and I never felt super comfortable with it. And I was never great at engaging in it. And it just started to make me feel a little uncomfortable like having to share more and I started feeling I was kind of being like phony and that really bothered me Mm -hmm. and it just didn't come natural to me and I see people who it does come natural to and I'm like oh I wish I could do it like you do it you know but I just didn't have that sense of like knowing how to engage on that level and do it in that way that seemed genuine or I don't know right and like it's such a small thing to complain about but it was just like ah this just isn't for me like I don't like where this is having to go And I kind of just wanted to simplify. Like I was like, I've traveled a lot in the past handful of years and I still do love it, but I'm kind of just ready for a break. Like I'm just, I'm good. You know, like that's how I felt. I was like, I'm just, I'm good. This was a great experience while it lasted and now I'm ready to be done. Yeah. And I miss like, there's certain parts I really miss. It's mostly like seeing people who I was like on the North Face team with more, you know, cause that, um, their athlete team does like, you do like end up doing a lot of events and stuff and not just with like runners, but like with skiers and climbers and stuff. And that was such a cool aspect of it. Like all the people, all the amazing people you get to meet who are just so rad and, you know, such amazing people, not just in their like athletic sense, but you know, creative and intelligent and pushing boundaries was really cool to be around those types of people for so many years. And then all the travel was awesome. So like, I miss that aspect, but I definitely don't miss having to race at all. <laughs> yeah, fair. Yeah. And you seem to have left at peace with it all and be like, okay, yeah, yeah, I'm just good. I'm good. You know, like you always, like, I feel like there's all, you feel like you can always go back and do more. Like there's a couple races I never got to do. Like I always really wanted to do hard rock in like Telluride, Colorado, you know? Yeah, area. I've heard about that one so much. It's, it looks awesome. I mean, it's a hundred mile race. It's very similar in kind of profile to UTMB. Like I think you end up climbing, like the total ascent is like 29,000 feet. I think UTMB is like 30 or 31, but it's a little harder cause you're at altitude. I think the average altitude is like 11,000 feet. Oh yeah. You know? And, um, I mean the San Juans are just, I've spent a fair amount of time in like Telluride area. They're just gorgeous. And it was always a race I really wanted to do, but they're very, it was very difficult to get into. It's like a lottery system. And oh, okay. It's not a yeah. qualification thing. No. I mean, you have to like, for all these hundred mile races, like you have to show proof that like you've done a 50 mile race, you know, they don't want someone just like, who's only run a mile coming in to do it. Right. But like, yeah. So long if you have like the qualifiers or whatever, then you get entered into a lottery. And I tried for like five or six years to get into that race and I never did. And it was the one race that I still had really wanted to do. So who knows, maybe sometime in the future, but, um, yeah. But other than that, I was like, I raced, I got to like go around the world. Like I raced a bunch in South America and 
I got to go run with girls in Ethiopia, which was like super rad, like some really cool experiences, mm-hmm. you know, which I was like super grateful for. And I feel very privileged to have had. Um, but then I got to the point where I was like, yeah, that's I'm good, good enough. Yeah, I'm good. Like, and that was, awesome. you said an, a year and a half ago. Yeah. I like did my last race in 2019, but I stayed on with the team for till I think like 2021. So maybe it's been about like two years. It's almost been about like two years now. Yeah. Yeah. And I really only miss like the people yeah. like, that I don't get to see anymore. Because you're still running. Yeah. I still run the same. And yeah, I got you more You still run the biking. same. Well, I mean, I'm pregnant now, so I'm not running quite the same. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But like last summer, for example, like, yeah, I still went out and like pretty much ran kind of my similar like you know, a couple days a week, I'm doing like super long runs and, you know, I still be running quite a bit. What's a super long run for you? I don't know. Probably like six hours out type of thing. Yeah. You're based on hours. Yeah. Yeah. Like going out for like the good solid part of the day. Yeah. You know, you're just out in the hills and like doing stuff. So yeah. I love that. Yeah. I'm running, um, Sugar Bowl to Palisades with Emily oh, I love and Adrian, that. I think on oh, Friday. Oh, it's so fun. Yeah. It's one of my favorite. And I'm always like, got to do it in the spring or at least when the wildflowers yeah. are out. I think you'll still amazing. have some wildflowers though. I think so. Up Especially high. On some, yeah. And like on that, um, when you, are you guys going Sugar Bowl to Palisades? Yeah. yeah. When you get past Tinker's Knob and you start descending Tinker's Knob and you're in yeah. that like Valley of Mulier and stuff, totally. like that's just a little more North face. Like, I think you'll definitely still have some stuff out there. Yeah. I used to run a ton. Like I read Scott Jurek's book. I read, mm-hmm. who was it? Dean Carranza's. Dean Carnazes. Yeah. 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 And then I read Born to Run and, yeah. and like reading those three books back to back. Basically yeah. I was like, I am born to run. Yeah. I got to get out there. Like <laughs> totally. bought the shoes and started yeah. doing it and loved it. And then slowly have been getting back into it because I, it is so free and you're just out in the mountains yeah. and you can, I think the, yeah, being out on your own two feet and the human power aspect of endurance and like just seeing how many miles you can cover is fascinating to me. Like I'm obsessed totally. with it. Totally. It's really, you get like, it's definitely like endurance sports definitely become addicting. Yeah. You do, I was talking to Cody about it actually, cause mm. he's gotten he's super into running. running and I yeah. love it. I was like, Oh, you're turning into a running nerd. I absolutely love it. You've already taken your skiing kind of to a nerdy spot, which I love. <laughs> And now you're doing like the nerdy running and I think totally. it's awesome. Yeah. Um, and he's like, yeah, it becomes really addicting. I was like, I know it really is. And the thing, I mean, like I love mountain biking. I think it's super fun. And I got more into it like in the past, like I took a long break from it when I was like really competitively running. Um, but now I've gotten like more into it and I love mountain biking, but there is something about like the no gear aspect oh, to yeah. running. You know, yeah. you're not checking your tire pressure. You're not worried about like getting a flat. Yeah. You're like, I just need a pack and some food and water and like, we're good to go. Totally. Like that part is like very satisfying and super, makes it very like easy to get into the sport because mm-hmm. there's such a low barrier to entry, you know? So I really enjoy that about it. It's like, especially like I've done some mountain bike races like overseas and like traveling with a mountain bike is a pain in the ass. It's a pain in the ass. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in to some regard, I'm thankful for it because it got me to understand how the bike works. Same. And like, exactly. Yeah, when you have to take it apart it, and put it back together that yes. first time is like, Oh God, it's daunting. <laughs> Why didn't I put like markings on where everything yeah. was before? <laughs> and then you get back on it and you're like, Oh no, something's not right. Yeah. Like something's way off. Yeah, yeah for sure. totally. But then once you like get to, down to the process of like knowing how to take everything apart and put it into the bag, Oh, but it's still... It's like, kind of stressful, too. Like, oh, you care about stressful. your bike. Oh, and then totally. It gets, yeah. 
Yeah. You're like, I'm just going to let some baggage handlers do what they want with this thing and like yeah. pray to God it shows up in one piece and the other. And then we did, I did the, that race I was talking about over in Chamonix for mountain biking. One of my friends who was doing the race with me, like his bag got lost, his bike got lost, like didn't get delivered no. to the race. Yeah. So he ends up on this like clunker. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Which is just awful. He didn't end up finishing that race. And part of the reason was he didn't have his bike, which is like, you know, your essential piece of equipment. Yeah. So that's brutal. You know, so yeah, the running at the just put on the shoes and go is so nice. I went to Sham this summer and I saw, I was so jealous. It looked so fun. And I like prior to that, like I've had six knee surgeries. So I guess it was before my sixth, in between five and six, I got back into it with Emily because she was training for the broken arrow. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And we would go on like, I don't know, maybe four or five miles. And like one day my, I just shut down. My knee hurt so bad yeah. and I couldn't go on. Yeah. And then I was like, okay, I guess I can't do this anymore. But then when I got to Sham, I had running shoes and immediately I needed to be in the mountains. Oh yeah. So I was like, I'm going for a run hike and I'm just gonna like walk when it hurts. Right. And, and it never really hurt. Right. So I'm like back in it. Oh, I'm so, so awesome. psyched. So I'm yeah. so excited for you. But Sometimes it just takes time for those darn totally, knees. Totally, to like heal and everything. Yeah. But is there any like, I don't know, because all of my running instruction has been from born to run. Yeah. Like, what is? are there tips to, like, running downhill? And, like... Oh, for sure. There's so much technique, Yeah, there is actually technique. And I, like, was naive when I first got into the sport and just thought, like, your stride is your stride. And you go... And, like, I run like a Clydesdale. Like, I have a super slow turnover, and I used to be more of a heel striker. And Mm -hmm. I actually worked a lot with Tav on, like, biomechanics, and it totally made a difference and um got like it like it definitely helps your efficiency which especially when you're running for a long distance makes a huge difference you know um if you can tweak those things but yeah running downhill i mean especially i think it's different when you've had knee issues because you have like after i tore my meniscus my downhill running definitely changed a little bit Mm because you definitely have that hesitancy Mm -hmm. a little bit and you don't fully want to like let it rip even pound. though it's so fun it's when so you do fun, yeah. right like staying as loose as you can definitely yeah. helps and if like to stay loose you have to go slower okay. is totally fine yeah um but just making sure that like you're not feeling like you're putting the brake on and like tensing up okay is what'll make you like feel more sore the next day and whatever yeah. so if you can just like stay as loose as you can and go like a little slower and then as you get comfortable with that you can like pick up the pace mm-hmm. you know um but definitely like any type of like tensing up because like you're going too fast it's like back off yeah you know go at a pace where you can like stay as loose as possible yeah. and if that means like kind of going slower then that's what you have to do um and then and then you can start like bombing down a little bit more yeah, yeah staying as loose as possible and like arms like your arms can like sometimes you can kind of do like the bird wings like yeah. <laughs> throwing them out for balance or whatever like sometimes your arms can be like going uphill your arms shouldn't be all over the place but like right. going downhill you can kind of let them like move around and use like almost as you would like tightrope walking or like on a slack line right. or something that's you your know balance. yeah that's kind of your balance and your forefoot um, striking tri- it's kind of more what's kind of more comfortable to you like okay. ideally you shouldn't be heel striking but if that's kind of what your natural state like that's me like i'm definitely a heel totally. striker and i try and like aim for four like midfoot midfoot is okay. great yeah okay midfoot is great yeah but like if it's not comfortable for you to like be landing on your on the on the balls of your feet you know it's like on your toes yeah, yeah then don't like it's not gonna feel good it's not okay that's good yeah. to know <laughs> yeah it's kind of like what feels good yeah is what you should do i feel like running downhill is such a playful moment totally. it feels like a child movement yeah, yeah. forward having your like torso 
like leaning forward, like oh. lean down into the hill. A lot of times people want to like arch the back and pull back. Totally. Right? But no, like, so get to that point, like start going slow and get like the proper form of like you're leaning down into the, you're having gravity pull you down as opposed to like fighting gravity by like pulling back and arching your back. Yeah. Definitely helps. So yeah. Oh, good beta. Yeah. I'm excited <laughs> to put it to use. Yeah. Watch yeah. it. Go on to Killian's, Killian's Instagram and look at some videos of him running downhill and mimic him. Cause okay. he's by far the best downhill runner like yeah. out there. Okay. That man I just love flies that. downhill. I mean, and it looks effortless. So look at what he's doing. That's what yeah. I say. Yeah. Do what he, do what awesome. he does. <laughs> I totally agree with you on Cody being super nerdy because I was yeah. texting him about doing sugar bowl to Palisades and he like, he replied with like, it was like a paragraph, like a super long text message. I know, I and it was it. all about like, oh yeah, well you can't run uphill. It's more of a hike. Yeah. And like it went into all these, I and know. I was like, whoa, this is straight from your trainer. Like, yeah. I love this. I dig it. I'm <laughs> like, too. I think it's so cool. I think it's cool when you see like, people who are like excel in one domain starting to get into something else and then like they're starting to excel in that domain you know yeah. too like it's really it's pretty cool like I've seen that with like Emily Harrington. yeah oh like gosh you know I remember running with her years ago and being like yeah you're, you're good at everything yeah <laughs> yeah but that it keeps translates. it interesting too. yeah totally and I think it's all comes back to your primary sport and it's yeah. like that's what I loved about your training regimen and not taking it so seriously is like all those different movements in your body help you ultimately yeah. with your yeah main sport well, that's what I think was like cool about growing up here is like growing up somewhere where there's four seasons, like you couldn't do, yeah. like I couldn't run year round and I wouldn't want to, like, I actually think I had some longevity in the sport because I wasn't a year long runner, yeah. a year round runner. You know, it's like, I took the, I didn't run in the winter, like every once in a while in the winter, I'd run up the old highway in the evening just okay. to kind of keep like the ligaments like in check and keep those connections going but if I had to run on the road like heck no I'd rather I'm gonna go ski yeah like no. for sure yeah cross-country ski yeah exactly yeah. yeah but you like downhill skiing too yeah I love downhill yeah I mean I grew up downhill so that was like my first sport ever yeah and like I was on mighty do you know I did mighty mites and then yeah, over did. at alpine and yeah did gate. I like race gates till I was like 14 yeah yeah yeah. I've recently kind of been really drawn to cross-country skiing because I have a track like oh, right yeah, on you're my so back close. door. Yeah, and it's so fun, and I agree. Just like yeah. the distance you can cover. Yeah. And this low-impact, like... Totally. The low-impact like is really on. nice. We'll have to get you out there. We'll have to get you, Michelle, onto what's called uh, Revolution Skis. It's what... So, like, Levi, Leipheimer is super into it. And we've gone this spring when it corns up, and you can do, like, crust skiing. No way. Oh, yeah. Like, we, ski, we skied from... Um, sugar bowl over to palisades in the spring oh, cool which was super yeah so we were like skiing what you're going to be running on how is it going downhill you make turns like downhill turns no way yeah and you'd be so good at it you That's would love fun. it it's super fun yeah it's super i love nothing like my favorite thing is um in the winter is sugar bowl has an uphill policy where you know you're allowed to ski uphill there right. like schemo but I don't like schemo. I think schemo is kind of boring. Um, just the movement of it. Um, so Tav and I like take our skate skis out and we skate to like the top of Sugar Bowl to Lincoln and then just make our turns going downhill. And you're yeah. like turning like you would like on downhill skis. It's super fun. Okay. You say that, but it's like actually so different. <laughs> well, it is. I mean, it is. for sure it's different, but it's like, uh, it's similar though. It's the yeah. fundamentals are there. The fundamentals are very, the same. you know, yeah. bend the knees, like bend your ankles. Yeah. You're just on really skinny skis. Yeah. Like, it's all. one of my favorite your, parts And your heaves aren't locked in. You it's kind of like, there's a bit of adrenaline there too. Oh, totally. When you start going fast, you're like, okay, oh, yeah. here we go. Oh yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah. It really is. But no, you would love, we'll have to, I have a 
JT went on a shopping spree and bought like a ton of uh, Revolution pairs of skis. Uh, they're like shorter skate skis, okay. but they're stiffer. Okay. So like when you're out in the backcountry, like you're not going to break a tip and you can kind of like the turning is a little bit better because they're not as soft. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we'll have to get you out there. We've done, what else did we do? Levi and I and Tab and another one of our friends did Echo Lake over to like Emerald Bay in the cool. spring, which oh, is freaking yeah. rad. And you're like skating over that's Lake Aloha. Epic. Yeah. yeah, you would love it. It's super, it's like, I actually think that's like my favorite thing to do. It's super cool. I dig it. You just cover so much ground, yep. but on snow, mm-hmm. you know? I know you guys are a part of this other echelon of athletes in no. Tahoe, the endurance people. Oh no, it's just the <laughs> endurance nerds. Yeah. Like, what else can we do on the, but yeah, once you, I find that Nordic skiing, like all of my friends who have like been downhill skiers, I find like they get into it when they get older you know, and mm-hmm. they're like, oh, I love it. And it makes total sense. Like, JT's into it. Like, I know. I know. We've changed funny. that. Yeah, which is funny. Like, he's in Australia right now, and he just went on, like, a three-hour-long cross-country ski. Mostly because he got lost or didn't know how long the loop was going to be. But Classic, <laughs> yes. But he, like, loved it. It's good. It's really good, like, for your knees and stuff. It's yeah. just, like, it's a nice counterbalance to I downhill skiing. For your knees, for sure. Because yeah. you're using all the tiny muscles yeah, to exactly. balance. But you're not having just... that, like, impact of, yeah. like, skiing down on moguls, you yeah. know? So it's like good I don't know nor dorks yeah totally (laughs) any sport you can do spandex in I think it's pretty fun yeah so you've touched on it a little bit but you are 20 year 20 weeks pregnant I almost said 20 years pregnant. oh god I hope not (laughs) already feels long enough yeah um what has that been like for you it's been great it was a total surprise um a little bit of a shock like just because it wasn't like like most children this was not planned yeah um but, um, yeah, super excited. And I obviously, I love kids. I never thought I would have any of my own. Um, but it's, I've so far, I mean, like, knock on wood, I've had what I consider a relatively easy pregnancy, which I don't know if that means I'll have, like, a difficult labor. But um, it's cool. You know, the female body is pretty nuts. Like, yeah. seeing your body change so drastically, like, almost, like, day to day, is kind of crazy. You're like, I didn't know things could expand that way or grow so quickly. Um, I don't know. To think that you have like a little human inside of you is pretty cool, you know? So, um, yeah, it's been really, it's been awesome. Um, it's, it was like exhausting in the beginning. Um, but now I'm in my second trimester and everyone says, ah, second trimester is so great. So I'm trying to enjoy it, but yeah, I've still been like running and it's really great. Like, my OBGYN is Kara Streit, Tab's wife, and she grew oh, up awesome. here. You know Kara Laniger. You know the Lanigers. I think so. Yeah. yeah. It's like she grew up here. She's super active. Like having like these like active OBs mm-hmm. who are like, no, you don't need to cut back on it. Like listen to your body is like what they say. Yeah. You know, they're like, if running still feels good, like go out and run. Like yeah. once the belly gets a little too big, like I won't be mountain biking anymore, you know, because you don't want to like fall or whatever. But, um, yeah, it's been it's been pretty cool. Yes. Yeah, it's exciting. It's nerve wracking for sure. All of the things. Yeah, all of the things. Yeah, like life is gonna really change. So. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, now it's like now that all I do is just like work and play in the woods by myself. I'm like I've got the time to handle it. So. Maybe now's the time where I should go for a run with you. <laughs> <laughs> you you'd be fine either way, Michelle. Yeah. I am not yeah. a, I'm not a speedy runner. Like I never have been like a fast runner. So yeah. Yeah, I guess, how do you break down the 100 miles? Are you like, I'm just going at one pace, or do you know there's times where... I try, like, definitely, like, after doing a couple of them, you kind of get that experience, and you kind of know, like, 
most people I think start out too hard. Mm. Um, so especially with like UTMB, like the first mile of that race, the men in the front are doing like a six minute mile, which is like obviously not sustainable. Totally. And so I got really good advice from, um, my teammate, Jez Bragg, this British guy in 2013, like during UTMB, we were like 30 miles into it. And I was staying with him. He, he had done the race before. And he's like, yeah, you know, you just keep it nice and steady. And you'll just see that, like, people start dropping like flies. Mm-hmm. And everyone goes out way too fast. And if you can kind of, like, hold back in the beginning and then know. Like, I always, what I do with the 100-mile races is I always do, like, a check-in with myself. And I'm like, okay, can I sustain this pace for another 20 hours? Right. And, like, if the answer is, you obviously know, like, towards the end you're going to get slower. So you will be, like, a little faster in the first half of the race usually. Um, but I don't want to be too much faster because then you're going to be way slower, you know? So if you can try and make it like even splits for like the first 50 and the second 50, I feel like you'll be, you'll finish the race a not feeling destroyed and you'll finish strong, which is always nice. Like you don't want to finish with any gas left in the tank, which no. you definitely won't. In a yeah, totally. Like, I would imagine. You really not. won't. Um, but I definitely would always start off. I think I was good, especially towards the latter part of when I raced of knowing to start off a lot slower, but you know, it's that psychological thing of you see these people around you yeah. going faster. You're like, I need to keep up with them. But that, that saying that advice of like run your own race. I mean, it sounds so pat, but it's, it's really true. Like you really have to check in with yourself. Like don't focus. I actually think I was decent with that of like not focusing on other runners and just being like, okay, am I, can I sustain this pace? Like, yeah. is this something I actually feel comfortable with? Cause a lot of times in the beginning of races, it's like, no, like these people are starting out way too fast. Like yeah. this isn't, you know, you've got, we're going to be out here all day. Like, yeah. could I do this all day? Like, no. So I try and like choose a pace that I feel like I could sustain for a long time. I love that mindset of like, can I do this for 20 more hours? Cause like, yeah. I wouldn't even think of that, like as a possibility (laughs) but eventually it would be yeah yeah, exactly once you do it long enough you're like yeah I have to I have to be able to stay out here for you know 80 more miles or whatever so what's your favorite feel for long runs uh my favorite feel like where food food oh um I got very in when I started racing over in Europe I saw that like the aid stations definitely had a lot of different selection compared to over here like they definitely rely more on like real food oh interesting over there Yeah. yeah like they don't really do the gel like you won't really find too many gels and you definitely don't find like Powerade or like any type of drink mix, you find Coca-Cola. No way. And yeah, when I first raced UTMB that first year, I was like, okay, Coca-Cola. And I got hooked on it. And so from then on, I pretty much only used Coca-Cola. And every once in a while, I'd put in a scoop of this like goo brew that had a little more electrolytes in it. Okay. And I would supplement with taking like salt tabs to make sure I was getting in enough like salt and magnesium, but I became pretty much like, I always run with, I don't do bottles. I run with, uh, like a camelback bladder, Yep. you know, and I would just put Coca-Cola in the bladder, in the bladder, in the bladder and cut it with a little water. So it didn't get too fizzy. And like, I would drink that when I ran across Corsica, we calculated, I think I drank like 20 liters of (laughs) Coca-Cola over the course of two days. Yeah, totally. Well, it settles your stomach. It has a little bit of caffeine. It's got sugar. Yeah. You know, it's it's cheap. Like it's pretty. So Coca-Cola would definitely be my drink of choice. And then I kind of called it the prisoner diet by the last half of the race. It's just like chips, 
like salty chips or some bread. Like I would do bread. And in Europe, they do a lot of cheese, which at first I was mm. like, eh, I don't know. But when I did that long mountain bike race, like all my stomach could handle was like cheese and some bread. Right. Yeah. And uh, so it they worked knew for it me. All along. Yeah, they knew all along. It's super simple. Yeah. Like I remember going um, one summer being over there and going for a run with my Swiss friend and We've been out for like hours and we get to the top of this peak and we're going to take a lunch break. And he just like, it was like a, a magician's trick. He like pulls out this like, like two foot long baguette out of his bag that already had like brie. And so he gets out his knife to like cut the brie and salami. And I was like, whoa, you know, and that's when it got into my head that like, uh, when for me, real food worked a lot better, especially yeah. for the really, really long races. Like yeah. I would get gut rot if I was doing like just the gels and the blocks and stuff. Those definitely have their place for sure. Yeah. Um, but for me personally, it would be like bread and cheese. I really potatoes, like they'll always have potatoes at aid stations and I would always take potatoes with me out running. Sweet potatoes or Sweet both. Like yeah. just boil, like however baked or boiled, like in a bag with salt or no. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. yeah some salt, a little oil. What do you do? Then you like boil it, then you put salt and oil and yeah. you put it in a bag. And yeah, that's, that's yeah. it. And you just reach into your little bag and yeah. We have a, uh, well, the one long ride that I do, that I've done once actually. <laughs> I want to do it more, yeah. but I was like, I've done it every year, but I go and support Aaron last year when I did my knee surgery is Rebecca's Private Idaho in Idaho. Oh, cool. Rebecca, she's so cool. So many good potatoes. Oh, yeah. Oh, I bet. Yeah. Oh, I bet because you're in Idaho. That yeah. looks rad. And that's like it's a really long, fun. is it gravel or it's is a it gravel yeah, 100 gravel. miler? Yeah. Yeah. Or you she's can awesome. choose, like when I did it, she made me do the, trial of the queen stage race so okay. it was like three days of racing up until the point okay which i say yes to everything sometimes yeah. to my detriment and totally aaron was like mountain biking and going and like chilling out by the river and i was like i got a race today like yeah. you're on this grind yeah for like three days That's and awesome. then we showed up to the start with like our backpacks on full like camelbacks with right. like all you the support food. right yourself pretty no much. there's oh. eight stations <laughs> i had no idea everyone else was like what's up with the backpack and i was like i don't know my shovel and probe i'm a skier like <laughs> this isn't normal <laughs> I came prepared. Yeah, very over-prepared. <laughs> now I know, though, they have the best snacks at the oh, yeah. stations. Yeah. yeah, that's what I loved about, like, doing UTMB is, like, it, you could actually be, it could kind of be a bad thing. Like, you get into some of these A-stations, like, a full-on buffet. You know, oh my they God, have, like, yeah. 10 different types of, like, prosciutto and salami oh, and, like, I would soups and pastas. And, like, that. you're, like, it's too, you know. Yeah. Yeah. You Pickles for me has always been, like, oh, a yeah. secret weapon. Yeah. Mm. Well, that's actually what, like, um... Uh, Scandinavian cross-country skiers okay. always would use as actually their like drink of choice is pickle juice yeah because it has the salt in it but then it also has some chemical compound it's not capsaicin I can't remember what it is but it actually works um, like on the cellular level to prevent cramping mm. yeah so that's why like pick pickles are always served at like these long distance cross-country ski races around the world yep. like you go to every aid station they have pickles Ugh. Yeah. Love it. So it's like there's so your body is telling you like this works for me. Like I'm yeah. gonna prevent cramping totally yeah, with the pickles. I was craving them. The one time where it really like saved me, I felt like was uh, doing the death ride, and it was a oh yeah, I think it's like super 128 hot. miles. Yeah, and, and it's super hot. Super hot. And like at one point, I was like, I did the thing where I passed the aid station. I was like, I can't eat anything. I'm right. like done. Yeah. And then Aaron rode up beside me and handed me a pickle. And yeah. He knew. I was like, oh, a pickle? Yes, I got this. I love how much like how diverse you are, Michelle. You yeah. do like all this like rad like 
downhill skiing stuff, but then you like get into so many other sports. It's so cool. Well, I mean, I guess going back to what you were saying, like you're motivated by goals and in skiing, I've always also really wanted it to be super fun and I yeah. never wanted to lose that, which at times I felt like either burnt out or whatever, totally. but I figured it out again and yeah. it is my biggest passion, but I've never set goals in skiing. Right. The first goal I set was after hanging out with Emily Harrington. And I was like, oh, climbing is so goal oriented. Yes. Yes. Objective. So totally. There's, yeah. And I set the goal of climbing and skiing Denali. And I was like, yeah, okay, that's something that's super attainable and I can work yeah. towards it. And I felt like that was a really new thing in my life uh -huh. that I loved. And right. I think it was that that spurred me on to all these other yeah. ridiculously yeah. fun things. Once you get into it, you like start seeing like, oh, I could do that. And yeah. I could do that. And it's character building. Yeah, totally. And you try and you fail sometimes or yeah. you try just to finish it. Like that's always yeah. been my goal. Like it's, I just want to see if I can do that. Totally. Yeah, I totally get that. Yeah. Like, I want to see if my body can handle this. Like mm -hmm. what am I made of? And it's, you're, you feel vulnerable too yeah, totally. when you're trying something new like that. Yeah. But I think getting over that vulnerability and then like, in my experience, once you're over that vulnerability, you become a part of this community that's like totally. beautiful and different than yeah. yours. And I think especially when you come from being like an expert in your field yeah. and you feel so much comfort and you feel like, you know, I'm sure like when you go downhill skiing, you're like, I've got this, like, I know what this is about. I'm super proficient and expert at it. And then like going into another sport where you're like, oh, I'm not as great at this. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Some of my favorite experiences have been on those long bike yeah. rides. Yeah. yeah, same. I have found a lot of like satisfaction in getting better at like some mountain biking stuff. Yeah. Because it's just not, it wasn't necessarily my comfort level. Yeah. You know, so yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the one new thing from all those races too is like the people cheering you on. Yes. You don't get that when you're out in Alaska no, skiing something. Like, totally. It's just you and your homies. Yeah. But when you're like on a course and there's people on the sidelines, yeah. I'm like, oh, and watching the Tour de France and how many oh, totally. fans are there. Like, oh, it's know. amazing. Yeah. Levi said that he actually felt like it was a very spiritual thing that would happen when he was like going uphill and there's all the fans. He's oh, yeah. like, it wasn't just me pedaling my bike. It was the energy from them going into my pedals. I was like, that's so cool. Oh, I totally get that. I yeah. de definitely experienced that over in France, like at UTMB. Like you'd be... Like it's like 2 a.m. in the morning and you're coming down into like this little village and there's like a bonfire going and there's kids out and people are there just to like watch the race. There's like such, yeah. I think it's, you know, we see it here in Tahoe, but definitely in Europe, there's more of like a general population appreciation of yeah. those of like the, the endurance, like of the Tour de France and like of ultra running and stuff. And even like downhill skiing, they appreciate more oh, yeah. than we, you know, all of that. Yeah. And it's so cool. Yeah. It's like really like the energy that you can like feed off of is it's pretty special and it definitely makes it like why, like why those places are so cool to go participate in events in. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, do ultra runners party like after you finish a race? I mean, there's a handful that do. Yeah, some do. <laughs> yeah, in general, I'm gonna say it attracts more of a nerdy crowd for yeah. sure. Especially like growing up in Tahoe, you know, and I've been exposed to like, you know, downhill skiers and climbers and like going over and like hanging out and like watching World Cup downhill skiing with Julia. Like definitely a different vibe than yeah. like an ultra marathon race. <laughs> you know what I mean? You can't you can't go out and like party that and I'm not saying all World Cup skiers do, but if they wanted to, I'm sure they probably could the night yeah. before a race and probably be okay. Um, but definitely after like a big race, yeah, people go out and I do, I would go out and go dancing in Chamonix oh, yes. after cause like they've got all those great discotheques is a great way to like unwind. And definitely like when I've gone to like the North Face like athlete summits and stuff, there's, there's definitely like a few 
of the runners who definitely let loose. So. I've heard that about the North Face runners. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe it's like yeah. their one time that they told you because all totally. of their times of the year they don't. Yeah. So yeah, Live I would always have a like little. a glass of wine the night before a race. Just yeah. as like a little ritual, just like a little like That's nice. relax yeah. yourself and yeah, you're gonna run it off pretty quick. So, <laughs> but I agree. I danced so hard in Chamonix. Yeah, it's great. and mostly with like one glass of wine, and then I'd just yeah. be on the grass like dancing totally. in the daylight. It was I wish so we fun. had more of that in Tahoe. That's Me like the too. one thing. I'm yeah. like, I guess we used to have Pier Street, but that was a whole other thing. <laughs> yeah, different vibe. Yeah, definite yeah. different vibe. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And and my I wear a whoop, which you probably wouldn't normally wear. Oh, I know what they are though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know why I wear it. I think it's like a nice babysitter. I yeah, found it to totally. like I drink less and I sleep more and I eat healthier and yeah, I don't so then eat like, as Why many. not? Yeah. yeah. Why not? Um, and I think it's fascinating too. But like yeah. the activity that it would pick up was dancing always. Oh really? And oh, I'd that's be like, so oh damn, you were cutting the rug and you're burning those you're, calories. Right, your like, heart rate was through the roof. <laughs> yeah, you were for doing sure. an interval session. I would do oh, dance so offs fun. with my friend Colleen. And oh. man, yeah, that's when it would like spike. Yeah, totally. Yeah, zone so four, fun. zone five. <laughs> yeah, we need to like, extra, like get a dance party going here in Tahoe. I know. I I, I need that. We should start it. Yeah, totally. I'm down. Yeah, exactly. Maybe on top sure. of a mountain or something. Yeah, I'm sure mm. there are plenty of our friends who would participate. Yep, mostly women but I'm sure there'd be some men too I'm down <laughs> yeah <laughs> well thank you so much do you have anything ah, else you want to talk no, about no I feel like I just blabbered on forever about it was lovely about, okay you're such a good interviewer Michelle you oh. have such a nice calming <laughs> presence thank you yeah I try to maintain eye contact and like it makes you a better conversationalist too because you have to ask the next yeah. question yeah, yeah totally well you do a really good job and oh. I've listened to some of your interviews I loved your interview with Hadley who I just adore oh I love I, her yeah I bet you saw her when you were in Chamonix and stuff spent a lot of time I, yeah, with her yeah she's Awesome. I can't wait to hear the Levi one too. Very mm-hmm. curious. So. Well, thank you so very much for My being a pleasure. part of the podcast. Yes.